Hi, friends. Thank you for joining us on Food for Thought. My name is Sunil Chandy, and this is a ministry out of Christ Episcopal Church. And I hope that you are doing well today. And uh, and thank you for joining us on Food for Thought. And so, if you are here with us today, tell us that you're here. Uh, put in your chats and in the chat function or in the comment function. Just tell us how you're doing and that you're watching. Um, you know, I'm actually doing this from my iPad, which is really interesting, and it's an interesting perspective. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, tell me what you think. Um, today, we have, a, of course, our wonderful, a wonderful guest who will, um, who, will uh, who you know already, Sharon Yotkin. Sharon is going to talk to us a little bit uh, about um, uh, trauma and, and especially also not only about trauma, but as we, as we uh, move towards Veterans Day. But uh, again, thank you for being here. And I would like to actually talk a little bit about uh, about the coming uh, this coming week. We're going to have elections on November eighth, and I think it's important uh, that as a community uh, that we pray for those people who are who are who have offered themselves in um, for for public service. Uh, you know, no matter what. Uh, political party you are, or what you believe are the issues that are that that uh, motivate you. Uh, these people who have offered themselves for public office uh, have really sacrificed a, a, a great deal. They're they're sacrificing their anonymity. They sacrifice many times their um, you know their their family life. All of that is now under the public. I and it's it's uh, can be very hard, and and especially in this politically divisive uh, environment that we have, it's uh, it's hard to be to offer yourself uh, in for public office, and then and then you put yourself out there, and then say you get elected, and and some people are angry, and say you don't get elected, and and you're disappointed, and so it's a risk. That these folks uh, take, and you know, regardless of which party you are, whether you're in the Democrat Party or the Republican Party in the U.S. Uh, or an independent party, um, you know, you should still be treated with respect and kindness. Um, one of the things that uh, that is really that we struggle with today is because everyone lives in their almost silos. It's hard for people to. To come together, there is a sense of civility that used to be in um, in in uh, in our experiences of election that that isn't there as much these days. And so, if it isn't there, then we have to pray for, that it will be there, that uh, that people will reach across it, uh, uh, you know the aisle, as it were, or reach across to. To connect with one another, even if you have different issues. Uh, the one great thing about our church, Christ Episcopal Church, and churches in general, is that it's a place. There are places where in which people are being brought together, and even if you have a difference of opinion, uh, you know, if you stand for different issues, uh, you're still brought together because there's a commonality in our belief system in the church. You know, there were. We're, uh, we are brought together because of our belief in Christ, because of uh, what Christ help, uh, reminds us to, uh, to do in the world, to serve the world in love, uh, to, uh, to do unto others as, the, as, as they would have done unto them. 
you know, we are, we are a community based on that type of love. And so uh, when people are coming together under that banner, then they, they learn that even if you hold different positions, we still are people who, who, are, who have some key foundations and values that we share. And so, uh, and that, that bring, allows us to build a relationship. But again, uh, the election is coming up on November 8th here in the US. Uh, I mean, some people have voted early. I've voted early. Um, and uh, regardless of who gets elected, let's keep in mind to pray for uh, the people who do get elected and, and remember that they are called to lead us in, in, uh, in this time period. And then we also should remember in prayer those who didn't get elected. And we should remember that they put a lot of uh, time and effort, heart, and um, you know, commitment into running, which is, which is again, a very risky thing. And so we, we are grateful to God for them. There are two churches, two prayers in the Book of Common Prayer that I, that I love, and they are uh, they are found on page eight hundred and twenty-two. I'd like to read them to you. Uh, they are for um, an election and then also for local government. Uh, for the election one, it, it begins: Almighty God, to whom we must account all our powers and privileges, guide the people of the United States and for this community in the election of officials and representatives, that by faithful administration and wise laws, the rights of all may be protected and our nation be enabled to fulfill your purposes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And then we have for local government, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, send down upon those who hold office in this state, commonwealth, city, county, or town, the spirit of wisdom, charity, and justice, that would steadfast purpose they may faithfully serve in their offices to promote the well-being of all people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In both those prayers, we don't uh, uh, hold one particular party or one particular issue in mind. What we ask is that God, come, uh, we invoke God's presence upon the uh, our situation. Uh, so that, uh, that the leaders that we choose are guided by wisdom and understanding, by compassion and fairness. And so um, we pray that for our elected leaders, especially on November 8th. And then uh, the other thing I would also add is to just pray for our country as it comes together, uh, as people are very emotional at this time. And this wonderful experiment of democracy is made possible when people are able to, to then come together after the election and, uh, and as we new, choose new leaders. Uh, it's not always easy to be in a democracy. Sometimes being in a democracy means that sometimes the candidate that you uh, supported may not be the one that ends up in leadership. Uh, but then you nonetheless believe in the democracy and you pray for it. And if you ask, if you believe the prayers are answered, then what you do is you simply um, you, you, you be patient in the system and you work through the system. And we pray that, you, uh, that the country, our country, and our local elections, local towns, 
will all come under, together under the new leadership that's uh, coming out. Well, today we have our guest is Sharon Yonkin, and Sharon is going to talk to us about um, Veterans Day because this is another important day in our, the life of our church and in the life of our country as we think about veterans, as we think about uh, their effect and, 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 and those people who are in the armed forces right now all over the world who serve the country. So, Ben, please bring Sharon on board. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Father Sunil, I'm doing well. I have my, look, my, my scarf and my mug kind of match. I know. I know. I love that. I love the scarf. I love that. You're, you I know, I've scarf got, lady. I had gotten away from my scarves, you know, and I, scarves, and I really haven't been wearing them. And, um, but I actually got this beautiful one when I was in England. And, uh, and this is actually from England, too. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, politically, a lot going on in England right now, too. Amazing. Yeah. Like, the new prime minister. The new um, prime minister, yeah. He's, yeah. he's originally from India, I think. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. His, his, uh, his background is from India. But yeah. he's English through and through. And I wanted to say, too, in terms of just briefly what you were just addressing, uh, I don't know, maybe folks watched 60 Minutes last night, but there was uh, a nice blurb kind of on there about social media and um, sort of extreme right and left and 7% on each end kind of really contributing to a lot of most of like the hostility on political hostility on social media and that most people are kind of in between these extremes. Right. And so I think one of the dangers during the pandemic has been we've been not, we've been a little bit more isolated and separated. And like you say, the beauty of a church a place where people can meet is that you can see other sides of people. You just don't see them in this one dimensional way that sometimes social media can kind of, um, you know, portray things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And just, a, a, and quickly to comment on that point, I, and I appreciate it because, you know, when I, one of the great privileges I have as a, as a priest is to see uh, parishioners come up to the altar rail to receive communion and they come up almost as if they're beggars for God, and and they come together. This is the one of, one of the most richest and most powerful countries in the world, and and people come in need. And the thing is, they come from all walks of life. I mean, you could be right next to a person who's a Republican, uh, who's who's on the rail with a person who's a uh, a liberal Democrat. You could find a person who is very rich next to a person who's homeless. You could. All the whole gamut, and they all come together, um, you know, yeah. in need. And it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, they're all my, and they're all our parishioners. They're filled with right. love and hope and joy. You know. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, uh, conversations with love and respect will continue, as people will continue, hopefully, to build bridges and work through this period of divisiveness. You know. Yeah, I I believe I have faith that will, and but mm -hmm. we have to act in that type of faith. I mean, definitely, is, and it's hard. It's hard, but yeah. yeah, exactly. You 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 start. You know, you bring the peace yourself, right? Yeah. So. Amen. Um, so yes, Veterans Day. So recently, uh, let's see, the month of October was busy for me in terms of doing some of my um, my continuing education courses. 
And because I'm licensed in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, um, I had to renew my Connecticut and Massachusetts licenses. And in Connecticut, you're required to do a certain amount of uh, three uh, units on um, military uh, folks. And so I've just, this is fresh in, in my mind. And, and I thought it's always, you know, we have, it's first of all, and secondly, it's also like important to honor our veterans and uh, families and veterans' families, because this is, you know, I think what happens when someone's role changes and they go from active duty to a veteran, you know, uh, there is definitely, uh, the family is experiencing a lot of that transition as well. Um, and there is a change in identity for sure, a shift. And so, and also I shared, I think last year at this time that my father was a combat Vietnam veteran so although I have not worked directly with a lot of veterans and families, I sort of lived the experience uh, growing up. But um, so I found this, this particular um, article and course, I guess, course, if you would say that I was reading through, there were some really interesting pieces of information that I thought would be great to share with folks. So the name of the, the uh, seminar was Post-Combat Related Disorders. And so First of all, I think it's always nice to start off with some of the numbers and the, the statistics as we, we uh, sort of center ourselves for the discussion. But there is a, a SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration in 2012 um, uh, came up with data that between about 37 and 50% of previously deployed veterans and military personnel have reported mental health problems after they came back from um, Afghanistan or Iraq. And what I'm talking about today is primarily focusing um, on that population. However, you know, I think um, a lot of the concepts would reply to, would apply to all veterans. And the two most common disorders were PTSD and depression. Mm. Um, not surprisingly. Um, and in fact, the rate of PTSD for these particular veterans was twice that of the general population. Um, and also, this is a particularly uh, concerning um, statistic that the suicide rates in all branches of the military since 2008 have increased so that now we have 20 veteran deaths by suicide each day. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I really, uh, this is really an important topic. And I really believe too, you know, so why is this happening? And I think that's part of what I want to talk about. And, you know, whenever we talk about things that we also like to come up with solutions too. And, and there are solutions. The good news is there are solutions. And I think it's just a matter of shifting how we think and how we view things. Um, so 60% of military personnel and combat veterans will, will not seek help. And because of one stigma, because there's stigma um, in getting mental health care in the military. And number two, there's a belief that a civilian mental health professional will not understand the military context, which both of those I could totally see, you know. Um, and that those who do seek support, only a third actually will have empirically supported treatment. Mm. 
So that's another thing is getting them the right form of treatment mm -hmm. um, as well as getting them treatment. And so I guess I would be called a civilian provider. And as a civilian pro provider, we need to do a better job of translating mental health interventions um, and, and, and translating them so that they align with military ideals. And I, I do think, I do think, ironically, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of overlap, there are a lot of parallels in doing this kind of work. It's just how you view it. It's how you think of it. Um, so for instance, in the military culture, there's this warrior ethos and, you know, um, and I, and I, you know, I think sometimes I talk a little bit like that because my father was a military person and, you know, so there is this idea of like mission and objectives and like, I can very much feel myself going into that mode sometimes, you know, like yeah, I'm on a mission, like I am on a mission. I am on a mental health mission. This, you and I have been on this mission um, since the, since the beginning of the pandemic. But um, so what is what is the or the warrior ethos? Well, one, never admit defeat, never quit. There's an emphasis on discipline, self-sacrifice, um, group cohesion. Right. Um, so when folks come out of the military, they're going from this identity of this active duty to um, and the mission is deployment to a mission of either you know, transitioning to civilian life or healing sometimes if they're a wounded veteran. And, um, and there's a big identity change. So what I thought was interesting though, yes, there's the PTSD, there's the depression, but one of the biggest stressors for um, people during that first year, especially when they're transitioning back, is, is are the um, everyday stressors, the little things, you know, transitioning to, um, um, you see the reintegration into family, community, workplace um, can be extremely stressful when someone's not been in that um, that milieu for a while. So to be aware of that. Um, so how could we reframe treatment? Well, and actually, let me pause there and see if you want to say anything. And then I have some specific ways that we can think about treatment in a way that hopefully, if you are a veteran you can view it as not much different from if you were on a mission and when you were on active duty. No, I, I don't have a lot to com comment. The only thing I, I uh, it's really interesting because uh, PTSD and depression, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm wondering what's happened with post COVID now or the COVID experience and how all of us in the country have experienced some type of PTSD and some type of depression. I, I, I don't think it's probably the same as, as being in the battlefield, but I, but I imagine that we all suffer from this in some way. And there's a, there's a great need for everyone to, to have mental health uh, therapy or, or somehow be able to do something to, to help alleviate some of these, you know, or concerns that we might have as collectively as a nation or as a global you know? Oh, for sure, for sure. Because um, a lot of what can can be done with a therapist is is very practical. I mean, these are like these are skills to uh, build your resilience, skills to build mental toughness, if you will. Um, so, um, which can be helpful. 
for sure, in navigating anything that's challenging or difficult. So I think there are parallels, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, um, I also love this uh, this conversation about the warrior ethic. I mm. mean, and and it, it actually seeps through not only, I guess, in the military, but I mean, all of us, I mean, all of us, you know, we always talk about moving forward, you know, mm. moving to, uh, you know, being able to handle our challenges, uh, being able to see the landscape and then, uh, you know, do what's tactical and strategic in order to help us move forward. I mean, these are all languages. I mean, now that you th you bring it out, um, I would imagine those are combat. That's combat language, language that uh, helps to to move and advance people when you're facing a battle type of situation. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's a matter of just being there to help translate. Yeah. And help folks to see, you know, that they're that um, that this is that they're that they're not some outlier. They're not you know, sort of, I think they're often, that isolation is so damaging, right? It's so, when people feel isolated and they withdraw and that never leads to, you know, good outcomes. So we want them to know, the military, the veterans and their families, you know, you are, you, you fit. Like this is, this is absolutely where you should be, right? To get these skills, get these, get this help, um, you're in a different kind of battle now and you need to go in through training. You know, you would never go to war without going to boot camp or going through combat training. Um, and so, you know, to view it kind of in a, a different kind of challenge. So these were some helpful things. So to, um, for, to know that, you know, these are occupational skills or life skills that bolster mental toughness and hardiness and mental agility, like you were just saying. It's not something that's, Sometimes, um, you know, I think the old concept of what therapy was like, it was like, oh, you know, you, you, you sort of lie on a couch and, you know, while your therapist sleeps and, you know, doesn't say anything, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is not like that. We, through neuroscience and all sorts of things, cognitive behavioral therapy and research, we, I, I think we more teach folks about how the brain works, how emotions work and how to navigate how to get through this mission to accomplish your goal. Like, you know, the mission of health, that's, that's the mission, right? And um, secondly, a lot of this stuff is action oriented, just like in the military, you know, you're learning. I, I in particular, me, uh, myself in particular, I am very much an action oriented type therapist. Like I believe, you know, the rubber hits the road with the behavior. Yes. Insight's great, but you know, the behaviors have to be, um, practiced and um, learned. The third thing is um, knowing that you do have strengths that we can draw draw upon your pre-existing pre skills that you use. Like if you, you know, for the military, you have to have the physical conditioning, you have to have survival training. You and I have talked a lot about, um, about self-care, your fitness Fridays. I mean, that's like mental fitness. That's like the military in some ways, right? I mean, yeah. same thing. It's a, it's a form of conditioning. And that's a big part of, um, of having emotional well-being. Um, and then four, finding meaning, um, learning, you know, therapy can help you to find the meaning in these experiences. And what can happen sometimes is for any of us, if we go through something upsetting, we are not in the right frame of mind to take away necessarily a healthy meaning from the experience. And 
And so therapy helps us revisit and say, wait a minute, that belief that you took away about yourself or you, or you took away about others is not, number one, accurate, and it's not necessarily helpful. What's another way that we can look at this? Um, and, and those beliefs can be very um, detrimental at times. Uh, folks can form all sorts of uh, distressing beliefs about what they've been through because it's so overwhelming, not, not through any fault of their own. It's just when you're in these you know, combat situations, I mean, it's, it's, it's an extremely overwhelming experience. Of course, you know, you're not going to necessarily um, be able to see things totally uh, from a balanced perspective. Um, so well, other interesting facts, um, folks who have a stronger civilian identity tend to do a bit better or not as vulnerable to maybe alcohol or reintegration difficulties. So you know, really supporting these folks to really, I think that's, you know, you and I, Father Sunil, you and I have talked a lot about flexibility. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, we had to change our identities during the pandemic in some ways. We had to shift. We had to, we had to pivot. We had to find new ways of being, new ways of doing. It's kind of like that for somebody who's transitioning back, you know, and, and after being in the military. They've got to find new ways of doing, new ways of being, and we can support them. Um, domestic violence does tend to be, you're three times more at, at a greater risk than this than this civilian popula population. And um, so that's another reason. Like you are, you know, if you're in the military, you're used to doing it for the group, group cohesion. Well, your group now is your, is your oh gosh, what would they used to call that? My father used to use the term. Uh, when you go out with your platoon, platoon, right? yeah, isn't that the term? Yeah, your your platoon now is your family, right? Yeah, yeah. You got to make sure they're good, and you, that you're good as their leader. So, you know, um, so there are uh, three types of uh, therapy: prolonged exposure therapy, cognitive processing therapy, and eye movement and desensitization and reprocessing. So, two of them are based in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what I practice and where we practice. Um, and we know from the data that um, evidence indicates that a large uh, proportion of PTSD can be treated to the point of recovery or remission. And that's the good news. You know, the tough news is, yes, the reality is PTSD is hard. And it's, there's a lot of suffering with it. Um, the good news, though, is you can get through it, you can heal from it, you can learn lessons from what you've been through, you can become wiser, you can <clears throat> still be there, present, an important member of your family because they need you. Um, and you know, studies show that 50%, there is, can be a 50% reduction in the severity of your symptoms after treatment, that's huge. Wow, 50%, my God, 50%. that's great. Yeah. You know what? One of the things that it's really interesting that I that that I that I'm sensing with what you're saying, and 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 you know this because um, we've experienced it uh, ourselves in just in in day to day life. When you have a community to to express your feelings, when you are able to talk to somebody about these things, sometimes sometimes you feel like you're in it alone, and you have to handle your pro problems alone, and so with the idea about therapy, about speaking to a therapist or, or you know, go, going to a group, you're able to kind of then uh, be able to 
articulate some of the issues that you're going through and what you went through. And, and in that articulation, in that, in that mm-hmm. speaking that truth, you could kind of figure out your meaning out of it too. It, through and you so it has to be a dialogue process because otherwise you know if i try to go into my my room and i try to figure out a problem sometimes i only see my own perspective and i don't see another perspective i don't see another alternative uh other than the one that that comes to me totally we're social creatures and you know in the military you're a group right so this is no different you're a group I saw a beautiful YouTube, this is along those lines we were talking about recently, a talk by Jim Cohn, C-O-A-N, at UVA, and he did, did some experiments about when you hold, when your partner holds your hand, the power of that to reduce pain, and he yeah. said he started to research this because he was working with a World War II veteran who had PTSD, and the veteran would come in and was like, kind of really not wanting to engage in the treatment process because one of the sometimes the prolonged exposure therapy involves going back and going through memories and processing it so that it doesn't have um, doesn't activate your brain in the same kind of way and it kind of you're able to recognize it was the past you're safe now and it's a very effective and challenging type of treatment Um, so eventually he said "I'll, I'll come in but only if I can bring my wife so his wife came in with him. And anyway, the, the gist, and Jim Cohn tells a story very beautifully. I think it's very moving. It actually makes me want to tear up a little bit right now when I think about it. But she essentially came to every session with him. She held his hand and he was able to do the, do the, the, the treatment. He was able to work through the memories, connect to the distressing emotion, heal from it. And he was able to recover from his PTSD. And they had been married for like 50 years or something, you know, but she was right there with him. And and that's the co-regulation, you know, her, she was able to help him regulate enough so that he could do the treatment. And uh, that's the power of community. Beautiful. I love this. I I think, you know, what we need to do, Sharon, is another um, session on just post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, just to maybe even think about like what what happens in the midst of a trauma, what happens uh, and how people can, you know, when even when uh, they're moved into a situation that reminds them of the trauma, all of a sudden the stress hormones come up and you're kind of arrested in and you you can't help but do react in the way that you do. Mm. And I think that would be really I just if you could. Maybe even if even if we could talk about the neurotransmitters involved and, and so forth, and then how to calm ourselves and to move ourselves forward through that. That might be interesting. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I love the, the neuroscience piece to me is so fascinating. And, and as you said earlier, there are a lot of folks who've been going through a lot over the last few years. So Right. I mean, what it's interesting because even though we're talking today about the military and we're talking about veterans in general, uh, and they, uh, but you know how uh, how they how PTSD PTSD is is PTSD. I, I keep forgetting the yeah the names, but I mean uh, the, the the letters. But how they deal with it also is important to help us in the in the civilian world deal with our own traumas, you know? 
Mm -hmm. but, oh, we've learned a lot, actually. Um, talk about taking meaning. I think the civilian world has learned a lot about PTSD from the veterans who've engaged, who've had the courage to engage in the treatment process. Yeah. And it's a relatively uh, um, recent diagnosis as compared to like, you know, maybe 20 to 30 years old, isn't it? I think, I maybe don't know. Maybe a little bit old, like after World War II, I think they, but yeah, it certainly has evolved in terms of yeah. how it's viewed and what we know about it, very much so. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's, we've learned a lot from our veterans. Yeah. And you really have. Yeah. And I always learn a lot from you, Sharon. And I, and I hope that people who are listening will also um, find a way to, to talk to a therapist if they are dealing with, uh, uh, you know, PTSD, especially if you're in the military. In our service this coming Sunday, we're going to be talking, we're going to have a, a chaplain, a David Dupre, who is a, a naval uh, chaplain. And he, he he did a whole degree, a master's of theology from Princeton Theological Center, uh, Seminary centered around uh, PTSD, trauma and, and how oh, you wow. deal with it. Yeah. Oh, so wow. I yeah. And he's he'll he'll be preaching for uh, with us and will be with us uh, on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And so, um, you know, hopefully and we'll pray for our veterans. We've had. In Rhode Island, we have like 60, 70 percent of uh, our congregation is is filled with uh, uh, our veterans. And so mm. we have some of these lingering effects mm -hmm. uh, that almost never go away. But nonetheless, we pray and we pray and God gives us a sense of peace in the midst of it, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Uh, well, mm. amen to you. Thank you, Sharon. God Thank bless you. you. Look, at, uh, we'll see you later. Folks, that was Sharon Yonkin again, and she's talking to us about how we deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, especially if you're a veteran. And um, and and I hope that you found this uh, conversation important uh, because uh, even if you aren't a veteran, you still you still face trauma in the world, and sometimes knowing how to deal with them, deal with the trauma and the effects of it, is important for us, especially as we pray together and as a as a community of God, we move forward. Um, our time is now uh, finished, and so let us join together in this prayer that we have at the uh, at the end of our programming each time, and it's a prayer that's crafted by Bishop Thomas Brown of Maine. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, you traveled through towns and villages, curing every disease and illness. At your command, the sick were made well. Come to our aid now in the midst of the global spread of the coronavirus. Heal those who are sick with the virus. May they regain their strength and health through quality medical care. Heal us from our fear, which prevents nations from working together and neighbors from helping one another. Be present with those in authority who are making hard decisions. Support the medical professionals, emergency responders, and our caregivers. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is kingdom, power, and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, go in peace and love and serve God. Uh, spread the light of God to the world around you. The world needs it right now.
Thanks for watching. Did you know that you can join Christ Church from anywhere in the world? If you're feeling connected to what we're doing, email us today at communicate at Christchurchwesterly.org.